The Rookery Radio Hour proudly presents Night of the Werewolves. A Halloween special hosted by Mark Kendall as Curtis Blow, who is also a Dracula. Created and written by Ian Custer, Simon Kern, Brian Peacock, Megan Peacock, Simon Rakestraw, and Hoover Wind. Performed by Francis Chang, Ian Custer, Ken Diggs, Nicholas Etherington, Amy Farley, Matthew Gatcombe, Justin Gray, Madison Hatfield, Mark Kendall, Jennifer Natoso, August Pollock, Chris Parashathaman, La Schaefer, and Hoover Wind. Performed live at the Highland Inn Ballroom in Atlanta, Georgia on October 5th and 6th, 2015. I'm Curtis Blow, and I'm also Dracula. Mm. <laughs> I'm Curtis Blow, and I'm also Dracula. 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 What's up, y'all? My name is Curtis Blow, but I'm also Dracula. Instead of sucking blood to live, I give people compliments. I like you. I value a real life friendship. You look pretty cool. I like your smile. Great glasses. I like that style right there. The striped shirt is fantastic. I like your shirt. Curtis Blow, and I'm also Dracula. 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 Trick or treat. 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 long, luxurious hair but are tired of looking for the right product? Yeah! <laughs> Does your current hair product leave your hair feeling greasy, weighed down, and just plain human? Yeah! 
<laughs> well, look no further than Lord Dracnew's follicles of fun hair tonic. Lord Dracnew's follicles of fun hair tonic is guaranteed to grow hair stronger, longer, and more animal-like than any other product on the market. Our proprietary mix of herbs and embrocations is carefully blended in small batches by the powerful light of the full moon, where it's then bottled by the many-handed centipede demon Krateros the Nightmarish, and then cursed by the skinwalker narwhals of Central America. Apply your Lord Dracnus follicles of fun hair tonic directly to wet hair under the light of the strongly waxing gibbous or full moon to enjoy your new hair instantly. In addition to stronger roots, a lush sheen and thick fullness, you'll also receive glowing yellow eyes, a powerful bloodlust, and digitigrade knee placement, which causes your knees to bend excruciatingly backwards on themselves. Before you know it, you'll be fighting a pasty, pouty vampire for the love of a plain-looking, mouth-breathing human girl. So don't delay, America! Next time you're in the shadowy corners of a disused bridge, ask your local necromancer or mysterious cult fanatic for Lord Dracnew's follicles of fun hair tonic. Today. I'm Curtis Blow, I'm also Dracula. I'm about to read a story to you now. <laughs> In his spacious downtown turn-of-the-century mansion, thrill-seeking expeditionary, trailblazer Stanley Bravery stretches out on an overstuffed sofa to rest his eyes. His long-suffering wife, Mrs. Lydia Pettifor Bravery, takes notice of her husband's uncharacteristic gloominess and lethargy. Ah. Uh. The bejeweled, gold-plated, magical something or other from Zanzibar, Romania, somewhere. The most powerful, rarest, or blah, blah, blah. Stanley, dear, you really haven't been yourself these past few weeks. You lay about the house all day wearing a kimono and a scowl and half-heartedly grump about things that used to bring you such joy. I understand the symptoms, my darling Lydia. I just don't know the cause. Damn and blast this shiftless slug of bed malaise. Ah, that must be Trevor. Maybe a visit from the ebullient junior explorator will liven your mood. Hiya, Mrs. Bravery. Mr. Bravery? Hello, young Master Winscott. How goes things in your world? Well, a while back, I realized that I don't know yours or Mr. Bravery's birthdays, but I've known you guys for almost a year now, so I figured I'd get you something to mark the occasion. A first birthday for the Bravery Winscott Adventure Baby! Sure. <laughs> to commemorate, Mr. Cartwright helped me move the opal skull of Ashathoth from its sacred resting place in the attic and had it polished up real nice. Ah, uh, Mr. Cartwright's dutiful organizational and cataloging skills have been such a blessing for our old dusty repository. The UEC certainly is lucky to have him on the payroll, even if he does insist on sleeping in his closed-down bowling alley. Here you go, Mr. Bravery. One ancient demon god visage, cleaned and good as new. Bah, demon god faces. Who needs them? But I thought this was your very favorite explorational find. You've told me the story of how you got it about a million times. The evil whip vines and the venomous... Venomous murder trout the quarter-mile underwater passage, filled with the ghosts of a thousand drowned warriors, fighting Ashitoth himself. I know the whole story, Trevor. I'm just... Not in the mood. What's the matter? 
Stanley hasn't been sleeping well of late. That's not the entire story, darling. You see, three and a half weeks ago, during the full moon, I had what felt like the best, most restful sleep of my entire life. But when I awoke, I noticed something unusual. My feet, bare for sleeping, were as dirty as this, as if I'd run a marathon unshod. My whole body ached as if from extreme physical exertion, and there was the strangest taste in my mouth. Coppery, rich, dense, exotic. Ah, that's the water for your tonic, dear. Trevor, would you care for a hot drink? We've got cider, cocoa, and a mixture of desiccated Chinese herbs and mushrooms. Uh, I'll take a cider, please, ma'am. It's really been quite a bother, and I haven't had a good night's sleep since... since... What is hmm. it? What is it, Mr. Bravery? Well, it's that new shampoo I got. You remember when Lydia was away? <laughs> oh, I remember. Yes, well, my, my restlessness began after I started using... That silly shampoo. Soon after, in the antechamber to the Bravery's Turkish-style sauna-slash-bathroom. How peculiar. Lord Dracnews, follicles of fun, hair tonic. Well, that was clearly a mistake. Does this luscious mane look as though it requires the aid of, of a hair tonic? Definitely not. That's got to be the fullest, most luxurious head of hair anyone's ever seen. It's almost lupine. The bottle doesn't give any warnings as to restlessness or sleep-related troubles, nor does it indicate any conflicting lunar cycle usages. I'm going to march down to the retailer and demand answers. And I'm helping. Don't forget your compass and your Winchester. He never leaves home without either. Two bus transfers and a short walk later, Stanley Bravery and Trevor Winscott find themselves face-to-face -face -face with Clint, the night manager of the local convenience store. Sleeping poorly, bizarre incantations that you may or may not have been running around outside at all hours during the full moon, only return to your bed unaware with the taste of what I can only uh, deduce as blood on your palate. Yes! Can't help you. Store policy prohibits refunds on open pharmacy supplies. But there's got to be something you can do. Let me see that bottle again. Yeah, here. Lord Jacknews Place has a distribution wing somewhere on the outskirts of town. Under disused bridge, uh, back near the shadowy corners, I think. To the disused bridge! All right. After taking a southbound bus for 30 stops, Stanley and Trevor begin their long walk on foot towards the area of town riddled with disused bridges. The worst part is I haven't felt like myself since the start of this whole debacle. No adventurizing urges, no sense of wonderment at the idea of explorifying, no regaling Lydia with tales of mystery or adventure. We'll have you right as rain in no time, Mr. Bravery. I know I sure can't wait to go on another explorational outing with you. That's the highlight of my whole junior explorator career. Well, don't look now, young chum, but it seems to me that you and I are on an adventurific excursion. Look at all the disused bridges. It's like a museum of disused bridges. This may be my weariness talking, Trevor, but do you happen to see an eerie greenish glow coming out from that far bridge? Behind the broken Zoltar fortune-telling robot? Ah, mortal friends! I can sense your life energies in frail mental states. What? 
That's our man. Good evening, gentlemen, and welcome to your local Lord Dracnew supply store. We'd like to speak with Lord Dracnew, please. <laughs> we don't speak with Lord Dracnew. <laughs> we never speak with Lord Dracnew. You know, I believe him. Okay, then perhaps you can help me, my good man. My name is... Your name Stan is Stanley Bravery, and you're an adventurizer and explorator of the highest order. You live on a spacious family estate with your wife, Lydia Pettifor Bravery, and when you were 11, you saw your father trampled to death by a rhinoceros while on safari. How the blazes... You cry every time Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls comes on the radio. <laughs> Once a year, you write a check with For Luck in the memo line to Daryl Griffin Bravery, and you never send this check. What is he talking about, Mr. Bravery? You often daydream about owning a cottage in the English countryside, but you hate yourself for this daydream. You owe the United Exploratory Committee more than just due service. What you fear most will certainly come to pass. In time, remember, everything's eventual. That will be quite enough of that, Mr. Doe. Jonathan Doe. <laughs> Mr. Doe, I am not here to bandy about fancy mind readings, aura studies, or fate scryings. I'm here to lodge a formal complaint about your Lord Dragnews follicles of fun hair tonic product. I believe it is responsible for my nighttime meanderings of late. I wish for financial restitution and for a remedy which will cure me of my nocturnal forays into the wilderness. Well, Mr. Bravery, I'm sorry to tell you, but I can't give you back your money. You see, as a necromiz businessman, in the kinds of business where we you know. The kind of business where you sell things made by someone called Lord Dracnew in the shadowy corners of a disused bridge? The kind of business that would employ use of dark magics to try and frighten a customer into compliance? The kind of business that would hire a necromancer? You pretty much said you were a necromancer. <laughs> yes, uh, well, perhaps I am. You should fear me and not ask for your money back. Fear you? <laughs> Why, because you make green lights happen and you probably know the exact date and time of everyone's death? We're adventurizers, Mr. Doe, and we've faced plenty scarier than you. Lava men. Dinosaur wizards. Uh, floating screaming skulls. Harpies. Snake gods. Grizzly bears. Crocodiles. Crocodiles where? Mr. Doe, if you can't give Mr. Bravery back his money, could you at least tell us how to fix his whole running around outside and probably killing and eating animals conundrum? Ah, the old narwhal problem, eh? What? A uh, bit of the undesired therian tropicality. Who now? The Veldoof. Huh? Vrykolakis. Now you're just making up words. Oh, am I? Can you help us or not, Mr. Doe? Well, as a matter of fact, there is a cure. All you have to do is eat one or two Johnson & Sons brand silver cod tinned fish fillets, and you'll be back to normal. I am a great admirer of Johnson & Sons brand tinned fishes, but I've never heard of silver cod. It was rare, even when in production. You mean it's not being made anymore? No, it's not, little buddy. Everyone figured out how great it was at curing lycanthropism. Ah, lycanthropism! Lycanthropism? Werewolfery, my good man, werewolfery. Werewolfery? Yes, unfortunately, your batch of Lord Dracnews follicles of fun hair tonic was one of, well, let's not say many, but more than a few, with the unexpected side effect of causing the user to transform into a werewolf under the light of the full moon. As it happens, I know of a fella here in town who's got himself the very last can of Johnson & Sons Silver Cod Tin Fish Fillets. Bought them at auction for a steep sum, planning on sharing them with his friends at a fancy dinner party just for the taste. Salty fish in a metal can and all that. So where do we find this guy? What's his name? Well, I never got his name. Not even with your scary magics. 
but he's got a shock of bright red hair, which he styles straight up, and he lives with a crab person and a cyclops for pals. He resides in the old Automaton uh, Arms apartment in the historical district. Automaton Arms it is, then. Come along, Trevor. Oh, come on, don't you want to hear all about Lord Dracnew's zero-calorie whipped ectoplasm topping? It's getting awful late for the bus, Mr. Bravery. Lord Dracnew's soul removing silver polish! No, you're quite right. We'll have to walk. Unless you can drum up a pedicab or a caravan of camels. Lord Dracnew's 10-in-1 do-it-yourself reanimator toolkit? Uh, I don't think transportation is in my area of expertise yet, Mr. Bravery. I don't even have my learner's permit. Lord Dracnews? A walk will do us good, Trevor, my boy. And it's good to get some distance from this unnatural place. Still, though, that Mr. Doe was less scary than those two homeless guys we saw hanging around the trash barrel fire behind the abandoned family-style restaurant a while back. I felt like I knew the tall one with the bony fingers and the rotten top hat. I can't place where we would have met. What is it, Mr. Bravery? Why'd we stop? It's... I haven't been out this late since my symptoms started up. And if I am a werewolf, however ludicrous it may be that I was cursed by an unnecessary hair product. And tonight's a full moon. Those clouds covering the moon, they're, they're parting. Uh, Mr. Bravery, your fingers are stretching way out and your knees are bending backwards. Actually, Trevor, those aren't knees. Ah, on a dog or cat or ah, on a horse. Those are the animal's ah, ankles. Ah, they are digitigrade animals. Huh, learn something new every day. Ah, I can feel my teeth lengthening, the blood rage welling up inside me. Trevor, you have to get out of here. You have to get help. Tell, tell Lydia. Save yourself! Go! Well, we'll save you, Mr. Bravery. Try not to eat anyone. Man, after a grueling, hours-long trek on foot, an exhausted Trevor Winscott is received in the drawing room of the Bravery's spacious downtown mansion by Lydia, a look of worry plain on her face. What's happened, Trevor? Why are you so very sweaty? Uh, don't sit down on the floor, dear. Uh, did you run all the way here from the shampoo store? Mr. Bravery and I went to the part of town where there are all those disused bridges. You know, the, the disused, disused bridge, bridge district. district. Yes. And we talked to a necromancer about Mr. Bravery's hair tonic. A necromancer? Stanley doesn't put any stock in those two-bit charlatans, what with their fortune-telling and their cheap parlor tricks manifesting greenish light from unknown sources. Well, the necromancer, his name was Mr. Joe. He works for a guy called Lord Dracnew. Only I don't think they call him Lord Dracnew to his face because they don't ever talk to him directly to his face. Mr. Darrow said the hair tonic would turn Mr. Bravery into a werewolf, and the cure was to eat Johnson & Sons silver cod tin fish fillets, so we headed down to the historic district, which is where the last can of these silver cod fish fillets is, and then the clouds shifted, and Mr. Bravery transformed, transformed into, into a, a werewolf, werewolf but, but not, not before, before he could warn me to get safety and, and get help. Oh, cousin, be bother at all, Stanley. Skinwalking, staying out all hours of the night, threatening the lives of junior explorators. This is Marrakesh all over again. We should really go find him. 
The last thing I heard was him howling, so he's probably full-on werewolf by now. Which way was he headed, Trevor? Towards the aquarium. Then I'll away to the aquarium and you stay here to guard the house. No, ma'am, I will not. I'm a junior explorator, and my friend and mentor is out there maybe tearing people apart with his bare hands. I'm not going to sit here and twiddle my thumbs. I admire your determination, Master Winscott. You should head back towards the disused bridge district. See if you can find any tracks or clues and help any victims you find. We'll meet back here at dawn, with or without Stanley. Now, if you'd be so kind as to fetch my saber and a box of rock salt shells for the 1887. Holy moly, is that the Terminator shotgun? <laughs> it is indeed. It's always better to have a shotgun and not need it than to need a shotgun and not have it. With Lydia geared up and Trevor rested, the two go on their separate ways in search of a now-transformed Stanley Bravery. Trevor, back across town towards the disused bridges, and Lydia to the city aquarium. What's in store for the heroic duo? Will they find Stanley and cure him before it's too late? Find out later this evening as the exciting Night of the Werewolves continues. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for tuning your radios in to the Nightly City News. I'm your anchor, Rhett Bunsen. My regular co-host, Candace Mathers, is out tonight after an unfortunate dog attack. Our local farmer's market is about to get a whole lot more interesting with the addition of an entire wing dedicated to naturally grown grains and seeds. Interested chefs and aspiring bread makers are encouraged to line up early Sunday morning when the exciting new offerings are set to go on sale. City high schoolers are breathing a bit easier tonight after all the air conditioners in the wood shop were replaced. Following a harrowing... Uh, hold on a moment. I'm receiving a breaking news bulletin from my producer, Greg. Thanks, Greg. Late night joggers report seeing what they describe as a giant hairy dog sprinting upright through the woods just inside of City Park not ten minutes ago. Police and animal control have issued the following common sense warning. Keep your distance from wild animals and maybe don't go jogging late at night if you scare easily. Well, thanks for that, city officials. We'll be back in a moment with the throwing conclusion to our story on City High's air conditioner situation after more of tonight's exciting program. I'm Brett Bunsen. Stay tuned, city listeners. Welcome to Strange Witness, the show of true stories about weird places terrifying creatures, and mysterious people. Each week, we reenact strange events from eyewitness reports, things that can't easily be explained. Tonight's tale takes place in an idyllic small town that is fighting an invasion of hideous creatures. Newcomers Amelia Gardner and her father Abraham are starting to wonder if they've made a poor decision moving into the 47 East Lamont Street in the town of Wiskachek, Wisconsin. Now, Amelia, I don't want to hear any complaining. This town seems quite lovely, and I think we'll like it here. I guess so, Papa. It just feels so far away from everything. On the drive here, I didn't see any billboards or gas stations, nothing. Why would someone build a town all the way out here? Well, these Midwest towns were founded by immigrants from Europe, looking to settle away from the hustle and bustle of city life. 
trying to recreate the feel of their homeland. If I remember correctly, the people who founded Wiskachek were from Romania. But I have a feeling things are about to get a bit more busy around here, with the new mine opening up. Hello there, neighbor. My name's Walter. I saw you unpacking over here, wondered if you could use a hand. Well, yes. Thank you. My name is Abraham Gardner, and this is my daughter, Amelia. Hello. Hello, young lady. What brings you two to Wiskachek? It's rare for an outsider to move here. Most of the families have grown up in this little town and never left the city limits. Well, I'm sure you've heard of the new mine opening up outside of town. That's my business. They say it'll bring jobs, but jobs bring outsiders, and with outsiders comes trouble. Not that you'll be causing any trouble. <laughs> I understand, but the mine will put this town on the map. It'll be a good thing. Trust me, Walter. You seem like an honest man, and no one with such a polite daughter could be that bad. Would you like to come by for a drink later? Uh, Mr. Gardner? Yes? Uh, you own the new mine, right? Yes, we just got into town. What is it? Something's gone horribly wrong. You need to come see. Come on, we can take my car. There's room for all of us. <gasps> oh, Daddy! It's horrible! That man's covered in blood! And where's his head? Look away, darling. Mr. Gardner, my name is Felix Grable. I'm with the Wiskachek Police Department. We got a call from a construction worker who found one of your employees like this. What happened? It looked like he was attacked by something. Maybe a bear? Wolves, most likely. Wolves? This man's head is clean ripped off. Have you ever seen a wolf do that? Sometimes. Do you have problems with wolves here? Oh, I wouldn't call it a problem, but wolves roam all over these woods. It is their home. Well, we're going to have to do something. For the safety of my mind and my workers, we dig around the clock here, and I can't have animal attacks slowing that down. Just what are you thinking of doing, Mr. Grable? Uh, I'm Mr. Gardner. I'm, I'm going to call in some professionals. I'll hire hunters to exterminate these aggressive wolves. Now, hold on, neighbor. You just moved in, and you're talking about exterminating now? Why don't we all calm down a bit? Calm down? Don't you see this dead man lying right here, torn to shreds by a pack of wolves? I have a responsibility to keep my employees safe. Well, maybe if he had been a little more careful. Isn't it your job as an officer of the law to keep people safe? You worry about public safety outside the mine, and I'll protect the workers how I see fit inside. Daddy, I want to go home. Amelia, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to stay here for a while and make some phone calls. I can take her back, neighbor. Thanks, Walter. That's real hospitable of you. Thanks for the ride, Mr. Mr. Walter. Oh, it's no trouble, dear. People look out for each other in Wiskachek. Now, you should hurry on inside now. It's going to be another bright moon out tonight. Oh, I'm all right. I like to watch the full moon rise. I mean, the wolves. I wouldn't want the same thing to happen to you that happened to that miner. What do you think happened? <laughs> Werewolves! <laughs> this town is an ancient home for them. They came here from Transylvania and they still come out at night. Mr. Walter, stop trying to scare me. Okay, I'm gonna go inside and finish unpacking. Have a good night. <sighs> well, that about does it for the kitchen. I guess I... 
could learn to like it here. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> it must be those wolves they were talking about. I'd better go close the curtains. Probably Daddy. He must have forgotten his keys. Oh God! A wolf crawling through the window! Well, it's all set. I call that poor boy's family. Daddy! Daddy, it's a werewolf! What? Amelia, what are you talking about? I, I just saw him outside, just now. It was a monster, but I swear it looked just like Mr. Walter. It's those damn wolves again. Amelia... Have you unpacked my shotgun yet? Yeah, it's in the closet. I'm gonna take care of this right now. Daddy, wait! Now where is this damn thing? Oh, my God, you, what are you? No, no! so sorry to hear about what happened to your father. Yes, well, you should be. I don't care what Felix says. I've got a bad feeling about you. I'm sorry you feel that way, Amelia. My skin's crawling just being here. Like maybe you don't belong? Like maybe you're an outsider? What happened to your father was the natural result of you two moving here. What? What's everybody doing? Natural selection. Stop it! Go away! Survival of the fittest. Oh God, your faces! What's happening to your faces? Look, we tried to be hospitable. We tried to be nice to you and your family. But all you want to do is walk all over us. You've all transformed. You're monsters. You killed my father. You really should have tried fitting in instead of kicking up such a fuss about your dead dad. <laughs> We just don't have any room in town for someone so close-minded. No, no. Oh, God. Ah! Ah! 
invaded or invader, native or alien, hideous or normal, J-Lo or Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> One status can change depending on where you are and how long you stay there. Think carefully before you make accusations and lay blame, or you may find yourself dead center in the next strange witness. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for tuning in again to the Nightly City News. I'm your anchor, Brett Bunsen. I want to revisit the story on City High's air conditioners, but first, a word on my co-anchor, Candace Mathers, who is out tonight because of a dog bite. Candace was taken to City General Hospital after her encounter with the dog for a routine antibacterial treatment, rabies test, and a few minor sutures to the wound, but she is now listed as missing from the convalescent suite. She did not check herself out. She is simply gone. Candace's live-in boyfriend, Tom Stevens, reports a loud scratching and banging at his front door. I'm being told we have Tom on the line. Tom, it's Brett Benson. You're live on Nightly City News. There's no word from Candace, and there's a loud scratching and banging at your door. Yeah, that's right, Brett. Real loud. Real scary. No, Candace. Oh! Oh, now there's a howl. Yikes. Tom, are you safe? Yeah, sure. You know, it's a nice night out, so I've only got the screen door closed. <laughs> okay, definitely not safe now, Brett. Nope. Wait a second. Oh, God. <laughs> it's... <laughs> yes? It's what? It's a horrible, hairy monster, but it's got these real cool gold-colored wing frame glasses. Just, just like... <laughs> Candace is there. Maybe she can shed some, light, shed some light on the situation. Candace? Hello? It's Brett Bunsen. From work. What's going on over there? Is Tom all right? Candace? Huh. Well, it looks like the connection's been lost. Oh, well, those crazy kids. I hope they get everything sorted out. We'll be back after more of tonight's program. I'm Brett Bunsen. Stay tuned, city listeners. It's time for another tale from the diary of Durex P.I., protector of the average man. On tonight's episode of Durex P.I., Dick repeatedly pokes his head in the back door in The Dame with the Hairy Husband. So, pour yourself a stiff one, lie back, and let us put some dick in you. Hold my call, Sally. Dick needs to finish. Ah, Jesus Christ, what the hell happened to you, Sally? I'm a bee suffering from colony collapse disorder. I'm a ghost of a bee. Your boo-bee has fallen flat, Sally. A real costume doesn't need explaining. Dick, I'm trying to make smart sexy this Halloween. Did you know that bees through pollination feed the world? What's scarier than global famine? I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Uh, Jimmy, can you get me... Pardon me, sir. The Halloween spirit's got you too. 
That geriatric get-up's no good in the office. You know Dick can't use an old Jimmy hat. Just getting ready for Owl Hollow's Eve. Well, do it on your own time. Oh, okay, museum robbed, werewolf suspected. Nice try, Jimmy, but I can spot your phony headlines a mile away. No phony onicle, Dick. That's the real thing. As long as we're not the ones out there looking for the stolen goods. Dick, there's someone here to see you. She says it's urgent. Send her in, Sally. Good morning, miss. Mrs. Mrs. Lydia Bravery. What can Dick do for you, Mrs. Bravery? I'm hoping Dick can fill the absence left by my husband. That is something Dick has experience with. It's an unusual situation. Uh, have you read this morning's paper? You mean the werewolf thing? Are you using Jimmy Hat to get a rise out of Dick? I would never use Jimmy Hat to get a rise out of Dick or otherwise. Uh, I told you, that werewolf business is real, Dick. Well, what makes you think your husband is this werewolf? Stanley went missing last evening and was seen turning into a werewolf. Um, and uh, the museum, the silver dagger stolen, uh, once belonged to my husband, but he was swindled by a curator who secretly worked for the Society of Nefarious Discoverizing. Oh, Society for Nefarious Discoverizing. Dick thinks you're crazy, but if you got the money, Dick will work the hairy ones too. To whom should I make out the check? Use Dick's official company name, Cash. Is that LLP, Incorporated, Limited Liability Park? Just Cash, lady. Here you go, Cash for Dick. I believe this should get you started. Any other details about where your husband went yesterday? He made two stops. A convenience store and a gentleman living under the bridge who works for Lord Dracnew. Lord Drac who? He's a product peddling necromancer. All right, Jimmy, you hit the convenience store and Dick will track down this shady salesman. I'm on it, boss. Uh, well, on second thought, I'll take the convenience store. Not sure how Dick would handle talking to this necromancer fellow. Mrs. Bravery, Sally will have some paperwork for you. Before you go, could I follow you for a cocktail? I forgot to grab breakfast before I left the house. A skeptical dick slides his way into the convenience store. Can I help you? Hey there, sport. Is the manager around? I'm the manager. Clint Torres, the manager. Can I help you? You're a manager? This place has really let their standards fall. I'm looking for information on a guy who came in here yesterday. Would have been packing a Winchester, had a kid with him? Nope. Sporting a compass? Nada. Probably talked a little highfalutin. This neighborhood is being rapidly gentrified by people who, five years ago, wouldn't even dare to live inside the city limits. Most of our customers sound highfalutin. Oh, here's my card. Give my office a call if you could be bothered to remember anything. Thanks. I'll put it in my wallet with all my important memories. Nice wallet, kid. What's it made of? Crocodile skin. Oh, filthy animals. I hate crocodiles. Wait, is this the guy you're looking for on the front of today's newspaper? That's him! Yeah, he was in here. Is that it, kid? Dick needs the whole thing. He asked about this shampoo made by this necromancer. Lord Dracnew. That's him, a real weirdo. I gave the guy this card so he could find him. When he saw my wall, he freaked the shit out. <laughs> Thanks for your help, sport. Dick will remember this. So many weirdos. I wish I still had that job at Funland. Having confirmed the explorator's wife's story, Dick leaves the store and heads back to the office. Hey, Dick! Dick Derricks! Oh, great. Hey, Dick. Wait till you hear about this case I got. It's a doozy. Harry Clam. You open up like that for everyone? I always open up for Dick. Especially when it's a case like this. 
I got hired by the United Exploratory Committee to track down the Chief District Explorifier, who's been turned into a werewolf. All right, Harry. Your pops put you up to this? What? What do you mean, Dick? I was just telling you about my case. Clamming's son's been all over Dick since he bested you in that water scandal case. We clams are always disappointed when Dick comes first. But this ain't no ruse. Then how did you know Dick was on the werewolf case? Your case? This is our case. The kid brought over the check this morning. Kid? What about the dame? What dame? Yesterday afternoon, this butler guy and this kid came in, told us the werewolf story, and hired us. Sounds like Dick and the clams got a group thing going on. What's your next move? Kid said they ran into a couple of vagrants the night Mr. Bravery disappeared. Sounds right up your alley. I'm gonna stake out the museum. If you find out anything, leave a message with Jimmy Hat at Dick's office. Dick checks in at the office before heading to the museum. Back so soon, Dick? The convenience store was a bust, but Dick did find out that Harry Clam is also on the case. Dick and Harry Clam at the same time would be too much for me. Uh, is Jimmy back yet? He's in the office, just waiting for you to pop your head in. Jimmy, what's the word on this necromancer character? He's really cool. I got some vanishing cream. Just rub a little on Jimmy hat and you won't even know I'm there. Yeah, sounds great, Jimmy. Anything that can actually help Dick on this case? He said the bravery guy and the kid were going to find a rare tin of Johnson and Sons silvered codfish fillets. Salty fish in a metal can? What's this guy thinking? Lydia Bravery is here to see you, Dick. Send her in, Sally. Afternoon, miss. Have a seat, Mrs. Bravery. Thank you. I brought a few of Stanley's things uh, to help you with the case. Mind if Dick pokes around in your box? Please do. I got it all cleaned up and ready for Dick. Let's see here. A compass, a loaded Winchester repeating rifle. Now, those aren't his primary essentials. Uh, they're from his formal wear collection. A cereal bowl? Now, that he uses every day. Sometimes he even eats cereal for dinner when he locks himself away in the study. Pouring over his notes or looks at explorations. Uh, Dick doesn't know what to do uh, with all this fancy stuff. How's it supposed to help? I thought they might give you insight into my husband. Uncover how he spends his days, understand the impact of religion on his society. If private eye work is anything like archaeology, bowls are very important. And how important archaeology is knowing where your husband liked to hang out? Ah, sociology. Since the local lodge of the United Exploratory Committee has been officially relocated to our attic, uh, Stanley has taken to frequenting the bar at a quaint little hotel in our neighborhood. The bartender's name is Robert, unless it's a Tuesday. Wait, never mind. Both bartenders are named Robert. Uh, all right, all right. Uh, Jimmy, I'm going to check out this hotel bar uh, before I stick at the museum. You escort Mrs. Bravery home. Sure thing, Dick. Oh, no need. I'm fully prepared. Is that a shotgun? Locked and loaded. Nothing like the thrill of holding something in your hand, knowing that at any moment there could be an explosion of white-hot metal shooting out. Sounds like just the thing Jimmy Hat's supposed to present. It's supposed to prevent. After a night at the bar waiting to see if Stanley would show up, Dick is reluctant, reluctant to poke his head out the next morning. Dick? Dick? I don't have time for this. Get up, Dick! Just this once, I'd like to not have to beat on Dick for him to get up. Oh, Detective Johnson, don't you have anything better to do in the mornings than beat Dick? When I can't find a clam, I don't really have a choice. There's two of them. It should be twice as easy. I don't need the bald clam, brother. I need Harry Clam. 
Dick bumped into Harry Clem yesterday afternoon, but we got on all right. It wasn't any sort of sticky situation. So what's happened to him? Harry Clem has gone missing, and you were the last person to be seen with him. That doesn't mean I'm the one that rubbed out Harry Clem. We'll see about that. I'll be back this afternoon with a warrant for your arrest. Yeah, and bring your checkbook, too, for the door. Dick's sick of paying for those little repairs from your visits. Retracing his steps, Dick heads back to the museum to get a lead on Stanley Bravery, hoping to snatch Harry Clam in the process. Dick hopes this Bravery fellow shows up before the bourbon runs out. Stay where you are. Dick's piece is cocked and ready to go. Dick's piece is no match for my Winchester. Winchester? Is that... is that Stanley? I don't make a habit of conversing with men who wave their pieces in my face. It's away now. Let's just talk this through. You're Stanley Bravery, right? Your wife hired me to find you. She seems to think you've turned into a werewolf. Now, I've heard plenty of tall tales from men trying to ditch their dames, but this one's the craziest by a long shot. I am not trying to ditch my wife. I went out in search of a cure for this affliction, this curse of turning into a hideous creature when exposed to the full moon. I shan't return till I'm well again. I, I don't know about any of this werewolf talk, but if anyone can get you through this, it's that dame of yours. It's Halloween, the sun's going down, and a full moon is on its way. You're an almost naked man rubbing trash on himself in an alley. I was camouflaging myself, blending into my surroundings. Yeah, call it whatever you like, but the boys in blue are going to call it crazy and send you straight to the funny farm. I've seen what those places can do to a man. I remember when I was searching the buried ruins of the city at Wolf Creek Valley. You'll have time for your adventure stories later, pal. Right now, you need to go on and wrap up this werewolf business. Sure thing, my private investigator, compadre. Ah, the buried ruins at Wolf Creek Valley. <sighs> Join us next week for Durex P.I., protector of the average man, when Dick, oh, Dick rather, not Dick, Dick revs his engine over a bunch of wieners in the Dame and the Coney Island food truck. All right, y'all. All right, quick freestyle rap, freestyle rap, freestyle rap, because I'm Curtis Blow and a Dracula. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then nine again. See, kids, numbers are cooler than drugs. All right, y'all. We're going to take a five to seven minute intermission. Go get some drink of the drinks. Go get drink of the drinks. And then uh, tip your bartenders. We'll be back soon. Away! Welcome back, everybody. Everybody have a good intermission? Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, well, quick recap, you guys. Stanley Bravery may or may not be a werewolf. And also, werewolves are dangerous. (laughs) 
Hey America, are you looking for an easy way to relax after a long day at the office? Yeah! Do you need a remedy that protects you from stress and lycanthropism? Yeah! <laughs> well, look no further than Lord Dracnew's silver-tipped hardwood acupuncture needles. Lord Dracnew's silver-tipped hardwood acupuncture needles come in a range of sizes in keeping with ancient Chinese medicinal techniques. Shorter needles for use near the face, medium needles for thicker tissue, and the large needles can be used to penetrate the heart of any mid to large size rare creature. The ritualistically engraved hardwood is harvested from the Capre, tree demons of the Philippines, and the triple-layered sterling silver coating is applied by indentured Romani children, who imbue each and every needle with the curses of their ancestors. Regular use of Lord Dracnew's silver-tipped hardwood acupuncture needles has been clinically proven to reduce your risk of heart disease, stroke, hypertrichosis, insomnia, and ripping apart the flesh of your loved ones with your teeth and claws. So don't delay, America! Next time you're in the shadowy corners of a disused bridge, ask your local necromancer or mysterious cult fanatic for Lord Dracnew's silver-tipped hardwood ne acupuncture needles today. Hoping to evade the law, criminals flock to Low Point Middle School. They manage to fool everyone, except for an elite crime-fighting force, the girl investigation cadre. In the middle of a disturbing clearing, surrounded by the oldest trees in the forest, just short of a distance from the remains of the dirt-floored shack where the town's last known witch was brutally murdered, the girl investigation cadre huddles around a campfire. And when they slowed down the recordings a third time, they discovered it was a mother and daughter that never stopped talking the entire series. That can't be true. It's impossible. It was called Gilmore Girls. They had to be sisters, roommates, or long-lost cousins. Are you scared, Laura? No. Unless you are too, then a bit. Why are we sitting here telling stories? This is Halloween night, prime time for criminals to be coming out of hiding. We can't investigate tonight, Ronette. Our parents are afraid we'll get candy bars with razor blades, so they took us camping instead of letting us go trick or treat. Does someone at least have a story about an investigation? I got one, and it's true. An heir to a silver mining fortune moves to a small town. On the first night, she sees a strange, hairy, half-dog, half-man beast staring at her through the window. When she goes into town the next day, she overhears people talking about a strange creature that's invaded their town. She makes her way to the middle of the crowd and tells them what she's seen. She tells them about piercing red eyes and fangs and scraggly fur that watched her the night before. She knows what kind of creature they're talking about that's invaded the town. It's a werewolf. As she tells her tale, the people grow calm and surrounded her. A hush falls as they crowd closer. She finishes her story closer still. As the sun and the full moon exchange positions, an elderly man reaches out to comfort her. The people lean in closer. She closes her eyes as the elderly man whispers in her ear, the creature we speak of is not a werewolf. The creature that has invaded our town is you! <laughs> Seriously? You didn't see that coming? 
The woman opens her eyes to see the people have revealed their true selves. The town of werewolves gnash their teeth and then attack. As her body is ripped apart, the woman wonders if her now rose-tinted vision is from the pools of blood on her face or from the glow of a hundred pairs of werewolf eyes. <laughs> That could never happen. Werewolves are scientifically impossible. It is so true. Last night, a silver dagger belonging to the woman's family was stolen from my father's museum. On the broken glass, they found blood and fur. Human blood and canine fur. A man-like wolf was seen leaving the museum and headed into these very woods. A case! Please go home! Go a case? home? Seriously? Ugh. Laura, there's no such thing as werewolves, so you can stop being scared. So, there's still other things in the woods that can kill me? Bees? Come on, Laura. <laughs> Run it. If we go look at the woods for like five minutes, will you forget about making ten shadow puppets and let us go to sleep? Mm, ten minutes, and you got yourself a deal. Fine, let's go. Well, I'm staying here with Janet for protection for her. I want to go find the werewolf. The want to find the werewolf's habit. The motion passes. Everyone grab a stick to clear spider webs from the trail. Spider webs. <laughs> the girls venture single file down a narrow trail through the woods. They remain calm until. What was that? What was what, Lara? Over that way, it whispered, I am the predator. I am the predator. You're just hearing things. Now, let's keep going. We've got a case to solve. I think I'm hearing things now, too. Me three. It's decided, then. The I'm hearing things have it. Get to the chopper! <laughs> come on, do it! Do it! Come on! Come on! Kill me! Kill me here! I'm here! Kill me! Come on! Trevor Winscott? Is that you? Janet? What are you doing out here? You weren't kidnapped and about to be ritually sacrificed, were you? No. If we were following the traditional criteria for kidnapping and sacrificing, though, you'd be eligible, right? We're looking for a werewolf. And yes, we know werewolves don't really exist. But the girl investigation cadre won't rest until we've solved the case of the missing artifact. Uh, actually, werewolves do exist. My friend turned into one. That's why I'm out here looking for him. Mr. Bravery is a werewolf? Yep. Does that mean he stole the artifact from the museum? Yep. Another case! Actually, it's the it's same case. <laughs> a second part to the same case! We should probably get moving. I saw a creature matching the description of, of a werewolf Mr. Bravery just down the trail. So we're going to go to the other way, right? No way, Laura. Not when we have my astute mind. Here's the plan. And their plan now formulated, the group makes their way down the trail, where they find the creature lurking outside a shack. Just to make sure we're all on the same page, your master plan, which came from your astute mind, is that on the count of three, we run out of the bushes, surround a fully grown man who may or may not be a werewolf, then tackle him with our little girl arms. Yes, that's the plan. On three or after we finish saying three? After, but right after. The genius is in its simplicity. The stupidity is in its simplicity. <laughs> I'm with Laura on this one. Mr. Bravery carries a loaded Winchester repeating rifle and a compass at all times. He's also a highly trained explorer trader, and I don't think that a gaggle of children is going to pose any obstacle to him because he is a werewolf. Literally. 
One! Wait, seriously? Two! Three? Mr. Bravery. Ah! Laura! Kid, seriously, now get off. It's old man Claude. He's the hermit that's lived in the woods for years. I believe the most accurate term for Mr. Claude is troglodyte. Ignoring the connotative caveman definition, Mr. Claude does live in a cave and he is deliberately old fashioned. <laughs> old man Claude. I've heard of him. He lures kids into his cave with sandwiches, then kills and eats them. Not the sandwiches, the kids! Ew, gross. That's not true at all. I'm also not a giant monster, or a story made up by a murderous little girl to cover up the fact that she killed a bully. I'm a simple man who no longer wishes to wallow in the vapidness of modern society. Not even the most important part of being an American? Active participation in the process of choosing our democratically elected leaders? Voting? Especially not voting. Well, Mr. Trog-like-tight man, while you were letting an overly vocal minority of narrow-minded extremists make a mockery of the world's most esteemed elected office, did you happen to see a half-man, half-wolf-type creature wander by? I did not. Oh, crap, Satchel. We're back to square one. <laughs> I did come across the trail of discarded maps when I was at earlier. Mr. Bravery loves maps. Hot lead! In what direction is this trail of maps? By the creek, just north of here. But shouldn't you kids be getting back with your parents? The girl investigation contract doesn't rest until we solve the case. Tola Creek! After traveling north by the light of the full moon, our gang of fearless child sleuths arrives at a bend in the creek littered with torn maps. If any one of you disappears behind an invisible curtain, I'm out of here. <gasps> the maps! And wolf footprints. That gradually turn into human footprints. Based on the reduction of dew around the edges of the footprints, I would say they are approximately three to four minutes old. He's got to be close. Everyone, yell for him! Can we not? Mr. Bravery! Mr. Bravery! If you are in any distress, please stay where you are. We will find you. Don't worry, sir. I'm trained in CPR! Is that you? Where am I? Over here, sir. Just follow the sound of my voice. Trevor, what are you doing out here in the woods? Looking for you, Mr. Bravery. Sir, are you okay, sir? Do you have a craving for human flesh, sir? No. Trevor, and is that... Hi there, Mr. Bravery. Janet Bostwick. And who are these other intrepid young ladies? We're the, the Girl Investigation Padre! Fascinating. I'm glad to see friendly faces, but I must warn you, I haven't been quite myself, and I don't know where I've been or what I've done. You turned into a werewolf. And stole a silver dagger from the museum. And found your way deep into the woods. And left a trail of maps to this very spot. And judging by the dried blood completely covering your face, chest, arms, and hands, you probably killed and ate something or someone. The Silver Dagger. A treasured heirloom of the Gardner family. I'm starting to remember now. Is no one going to ask why he's not a werewolf anymore, even though it's still a full moon? Talk about a hot lead! No, not a hot lead. A glaringly obvious fact. 
Mr. Bravery, your hand. That looks like a fresh wound. Of course, the silver dagger. You must have cut yourself with it, and the silver molecules prompted your immune system to eliminate the werewolf-inducing bacteria from your body. Lydia! Trevor, where is Lydia? I'm not sure. We split up yesterday morning to try and find you. I haven't seen her since. Well, let's go find her, young explorator. Do you have your Winchester and your compass? I have my compass, but I don't think 12-year-olds are allowed to carry firearms. Nonsense. You just have to hide it under your coat. Now, off to find Lydia. Well, gals, it looks like another case solved by... The Girl Investigation Cadre! It looks like the girl's sleuthing skills made the grade. Hopefully, this is a case that makes it on to the permanent record of the Girl Investigation Cadre. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for tuning in again to the Nightly City News. I'm your anchor, Brett Bunsen. My co-host Candace Mathers is out sick tonight, possibly helping her live-in boyfriend Tom deal with what sounds like a pretty serious coyote problem. <laughs> the city's annual fall fun fair set records for attendance and fried food consumption last night as more than 6,000 residents gathered in the fairgrounds for... <laughs> Hello? Listeners, there appears to be some guest or another hiding in the shadows of the studio. Don't be frightened, friend. I'm Brett Bunsen. <laughs> What's that? I'm not sure if I can tell who's here in the studio with me. I can only see a lone pair of glowing eyes set impossibly high in the darkness of the production booth. Producer Greg, who's back there with you? I, I don't have any questions prepared for a guest. Greg? Folks, I'm not one to ignore a guest, but this tall, growling, glowing-eyed new friend seems microphone shy. And without word from my producer Greg, I'm not sure it would be right for me to change the direction of this broadcast. I suppose I will have to carry on with the news. Suzanne Graybill gave birth to twins this morning. <laughs> Honestly, sir or ma'am, would you please keep it down? If you're not going to come out here and let me interview you, then you're going to have to stay in the production booth and sit quietly. Oh, I see. You do want to come in and talk? Listeners, I can barely make out the shape of my guest behind the glass of the production booth. Tall. Insanely tall. Those cannot be its shoulders. My guest must, must be eight... Eight feet tall, yes. Covered in a thick, coarse, grayish fur. Listeners, I am becoming a bit frightened. Mostly because my guest is clearly not entirely human. And there's the door. Slowly now. Swinging open. Slowly. Slowly. Good lord. It's a gargantuan bipedal wolf creature. With razor-sharp claws and fearsome jaws, its yellow eyes glow menacingly behind what appear to be gold wing-tip glasses. This is Candace Mathers, signing off for Brett Bunsen. Stay tuned, city listeners. Up next, what to do with all those pesky leftovers after you've eaten your fill of human flesh. <laughs> Thank you.
In the deep, dark waters of the mid-Atlantic, crime is always just on the other side of the seagrass. The menfish and womenfish of the Mid-Atlantic Ocean Police Department, Western Division, dedicate their lives to combating the watery misdeeds of such aquatic malcontents as the mummy mollusk, Dr. Frankenfish, Count Sharkula, and the headless seahorseman. These are the stories of Cuttlefish and McMurphy, undersea detectives. Tonight's case, Buried Bodies and Buritones. Our story opens in the dilapidated Chez Rouge Theater, once home to the most lavish and exquisite gatherings in town. We find the evil sea wolf fish Giovanni Lupus playing the Chez Rouge piping organ and laughing maniacally. Minions, bring Mr. Cilantro to me. Here he is, Maestro. Uh, Should should we take his blindfold off? (laughs) Yes. I want him to meet the other members of the choir. Wake up, Frank. Wake up! What's going on? Where am I? Oh my god, those are werewolf fish in tuxedos. And why am I wearing a tuxedo? (laughs) Because you are about to join them, Mr. Cilantro. Minions. What? No! Get your fins off me! This will only take a moment. No! No! Lower! (laughs) Yes! That's perfect! A rich baritone howl! Now, Frank, please... Join the others on the stage. The next day in the Mid-Atlantic Ocean Police Department, Western Division, Office of Chief Krill. Cuttlefish, McMurphy, get into my office. Uh, We're already in your office, Chief. Yeah, Cuttlefish is right, Chief. Uh, We're standing right in front of your desk. Oh, I guess my view is blocked by this huge pile of paperwork on my desk. Uh, It's only a fraction of an inch high, Chief. Uh, It's not really huge. This isn't a good day to remind me how small I am, McMurphy. The mayor has been chewing my ass, of which I have none, because I'm a crustacean. That Ocean's Got Talent TV show is coming to town to hold auditions, and she wants our fair city to be well represented. But 11 of the leading baritone vocalists in the city have disappeared. The mayor wants them found, safe and sound. But what about the case we're working, Chief? Yes, we're very close to finding out who's behind the rash of fish hooks being hidden in candy bars. You know, when I was a pair of larvae, my mom never let me eat any Halloween candy that wasn't prepackaged. We didn't celebrate Halloween in our house. My parents didn't think it was dignified. Seriously? Dressing up, trick-or-treating, they're all part of a healthy childhood. <laughs> healthy? Really, McMurphy? Wearing absurd disguises and begging door-to-door for treats from total strangers? You, you said begging, and that makes it sound sordid. Shut your candy holes! Right now, I'm taking you off the fish hook candy case. These missing singers take priority. The 11th baritone to go missing is Frank Cilantro. Disappeared last night. Now get to it. I've got this mountain of paperwork to climb. Really, Chief, if the pile of papers is like maybe a half inch... Just go! Meanwhile, across town in Giovanni Lupus's lair, the insane sea wolf fish assembles his all-baritone, all-werewolf fish choir for a rehearsal. <laughs> Wonderful. Now that I, Maestro Giovanni Lupus, have completed my choir composed of 11 baritone voices combined... I can make my dream of an all-baritone werewolf fish undectet come true. 
maestro, why undectet? Because that means a group of eleven, and eleven is a perfect. It has never been attempted successfully before in the history of vocal groups. They say it cannot be done, but I will prove them wrong. With my all werewolf fish baritone undectet, I will be a shoo to win the ocean's got the talent. And then truly, all of the ocean will know that I do, in fact, have a talent. But, maestro, isn't singing and whatnot how you injured your voice in the first place? Oh, well, I thank you so much for reminding me of that seminal tragic event in my life. <laughs> now, my melodious creatures of the night, settle, for we have much to do. Let's uh, begin a rehearsal with a vocal warm-up. The scales. Everybody together now. No, 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 stop, stop. Something is wrong. I hear a tenor. I hear a tenor in my old baritone choir. You. Boys, get rid of this one. And to find me a replacement of baritone. We rejoin Cuttlefish and McMurphy two days later as they arrive at the headquarters to update Chief Krill on the progress of their investigation. You know, I was in a band in college. Who wasn't, McMurphy? Uh, you weren't, Cuttlefish. You were never in a band. That's true, but I was in the glee club. Poor unfortunate souls in pain, in need. This one longing to be thinner. That one wants to get the girl. And do I help them? Yes, indeed. Those poor unfortunate... Well, Cuttlefish, at least we don't have to worry about you going missing. Now listen up. Somebody found the body of one of the missing singers this morning. Here's the coroner's report. The report shows the bite marks on the victim came from a wolffish. If the indentations made by the molars and canine teeth are any indication, our purpose is an Atlantic wolffish, also known as a sea wolf. McMurphy, I'm impressed. How did you know that? I know things. Also, it says it right there in the report. <laughs> this fits with our suspicions, Chief. In all 11 of the missing person cases we're investigating, the disappearance was last seen with a wolf fish. A wolf fish wearing a bad disguise. Orange wig, novelty sunglasses, rain hat, that kind of thing. Wait a minute. The coroner's report also says that the deceased is a tenor. I don't know why it says that on the coroner's report, but it does. You know, I have a hunch, and it's a wild one. Lay it on me. Will do, partner. What if someone's kidnapping baritones, turning them into werewolves, then gathering them all to form an baritone werewolf undectet to audition for the Ocean's Got Talent show? Wow, uh, that's an incredibly specific hunch, but seeing as I have nothing... But why 11 signals? It just doesn't make sense. Four? Sure. Eight? Okay. But 11? It's an absurd number for a singing group. It's too potentially dangerous. Dangerous? How can singing be dangerous? Don't you remember that terrible indectet accident a few years ago? Ten baritone singers were killed. What happened to the eleventh? He went insane and disappeared. I think his name was Giovanni something. Giovanni Lupus. I remember because I was watching it on TV, and I thought his name was pretty funny. Uh, he was the leader of the group. Maybe he's back. Hey, it's no more far-fetched than anything else that's happened today. Our only chance to bring Lupus out into the open is if we offer up another baritone. Uh, how are we supposed to do that? It's simple. We put an ad in the local musician's trade paper advertising a baritone singer in search of a job. Our quarry is bound to see it and answer it. He contacts us, we set up a meeting, and apprehend him when he shows up. 
The next day, Giovanni Lupus's minions returned him in his theatrical lair. My minions, you will return. I trust that you've located my replacement baritone. Maestro, uh, we'd like to say that we found one, but we haven't. Yeah, baritones are getting real scarce in town these days. Ah, fools! Did you check the musician trade papers? Not today's yet. We just bought it. Ah, what a hand it to me. Here, Here you go, go, Maestro. Maestro. Uh, uh, ah, here we are. Situation wanted. Baritona desires keyboard accompanist for a project. And then it lists a C-mare address. See? Once again, if you want something done, you do it yourself. Well, Maestro, ain't that a little convenient? Yeah, just when you need the baritone, one pops up. Nonsense. It's, a uh, providence. Fate, perfecto. Contact this unsuspecting baritone immediately and set up an audition. <laughs> okay, boss. Later that day in Chief Krill's office, Cuttlefish, McMurphy, and Chief Krill wait for contact from the baritone napper. You've got mail. We've got mail. Let's just hope it's not another spam mail advertising mail spawning enhancement drugs. No, not this time. This C-mail is from a Giovanni. He's a pianist and organist in search of a baritone vocalist. He wants to meet tonight. Giovanni, as in Giovanni? Giovanni Lupus, that is. He wants to meet at 8 o'clock near the old Chez Rouge Opera Theater. I'll suggest 8.30, so we don't seem too eager. You've got mail. Lupus agrees, but he says to come alone. So somebody should probably pose as the baritone we advertised in the, in the magazine. Well, I'm obviously a tenor. And I can only sing in a beautifully delicate falsetto. Down to you, McMurphy. But I can't sing. Enough yapping. It, it's settled. Let's roll. Cuttlefish, McMurphy, and Chief Krill arrive near the location in an unmarked vehicle. Cuttlefish and Krill watch as McMurphy approaches the front door of the old dilapidated theater and rings the bell. Uh, actually, I meant like a doorbell, please. Haha, <laughs> that's it. Anyway, Cuttlefish and Krill are watching from a distance. Now, Chief, we just wait until he goes inside, then I'll follow. You should probably wait outside. Fine. Look, the front door's opening. <laughs> ah! You must be my new baritone friend. Uh, yes, from the ad. <laughs> come in, come in. <laughs> Welcome to my home. It's a bit of dank and ornate. It's, uh... Very interesting. Uh, it's kind of small, though. <laughs> this, this is just the entrance hall. Come along into my studio. Wow, that's some pipe organ. I found it on a uh, sunken ship and had to have it. So according to your advertisement, you are a baritone. <laughs> Tell me, my friend, have you ever considered joining a choir? A werewolf choir? What have I told you about leaning on the organ? Werewolf fish and wearing tuxedos. Ah, minions. Take a hold of our guest. Graves. <laughs> You're under arrest, Lupus. 
Now get your mouth off my partner. Thanks for the assist, Scuttlefish. <laughs> Just doing my job. Holy crap, tuxedos on werewolf fish? Ah, gentlemen of the night, attack! Any ideas, partner? Well, uh, what about your bizarre medical condition? I've told you a hundred times, weeping inconsolably at the sight of blood is not a bizarre medical condition. Not that condition. I mean your persistent heavy metal poisoning. I know you've got lead and mercury running through those cephalopod veins of yours, but what about silver? Silver? Why, yes, I do believe my heavy metal poisoning does include silver. Well, these are werewolf fish, partner. Income. Ha! Take that! You innocent victims turned horrible monsters against your will. That does it. All the werewolf fish are incapacitated. Now for these two cowering, spineless minions. We can walk! Hey, where'd Giovanni Lupus go? He must have slipped out while we were distracted by the horde of... Sorry. <laughs> he must have slipped out while we were distracted by the horde of werewolf fish attacking us. He's probably headed for the front door to make some kind of an escape. To the foyer! At that moment, Chief Krill waits impatiently outside the door to the dilapidated theater. I hate waiting. It's so boring. I, I could be doing paperwork. Plus, I've got this private eye who owes me a favor who would definitely know how to handle a small, wet pianist. <laughs> now, now all I have to do is make my escape. And wait, hey, hey, look where you're going. Chief, watch out for that. <laughs> ah, mio pace. It's a broken. Oh God, there's pieces of him everywhere. I didn't know brains look so gross. Like a Humpty Dumpty, like a nightmare Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> this is really making me sick. Still hear you. It's sick. Uh. Well, look, well, look at there, cuttlefish. Chief Krill caught Giovanni Lupus single-handed. Did you tackle him, Chief? That was quick thinking. Uh, yeah, de definitely tackled him with all twelve millimeters of towering lawman. <laughs> Seriously, that's the way I'm going to put it in the report. With Giovanni Lupus safely behind bars, what will happen to all those werewolves? Will tonight's events have any effect on the Ocean's Got Talent auditions? Or was that whole thing just a MacGuffin? How am I, a vampire host who's also Curtis Blow, able to survive while narrating a story underwater? I don't know! Find out next time on Cuttlefish and McMurphy, Undersea Detectives. everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Nightly City News. I'm your anchor, Brett Bunsen. And I'm co-anchor, Candace Mathers. Boy, hasn't it been a fun evening? Oh, it sure has, Candace. If you'd asked me an hour ago if I thought werewolves were real, I'd have said no way. Ha ha ha! And look at us now! It's so pleasant being a werewolf! We can run faster, jump higher, and tear flesh much more easily than we could in our frail human frames. <laughs> and how. But don't forget about the simpler animal lifestyle that comes with all these great physical changes. That's right, Brett. We no longer worry about politics, religion, or culture. Instead, we are united by our bloodlust and desire to kill and eat weaker animals. And speaking of weaker animals, our listeners out there are probably wondering, gee, Brett and Candace, being a werewolf sounds great, but how can I get into it? 
Oh, don't worry, listeners. Brett and I are on our way right now to find you, tear into your flesh, and decide in the moment whether we consume you or turn you into one of us. In fact, this whole discussion has been pre-recorded by our newly transformed producer, Greg. The three of us are probably right outside your bedroom door right now. (laughs) I know I prefer rich people. Candace, you've got a sweet tooth for children. And Greg loves the elderly. We make a great team. So stay tuned, city listeners. Turn your radio off even so we can hear you better and find you quicker. I, I can't predict how I'll act in the middle of a blood frenzy, but know that in my heart I wish I could turn each and every one of you dear listeners into a werewolf. But that would be irresponsible to the ecosystem. And we're going to have to keep some of you alive so we can hunt you later for sport. (laughs) You said it. This is Brett Bunsen, a werewolf. And Candace Mathers, also a werewolf, wishing you good Good night night and good good luck. Button the top button of your coat, your coat jacket, boys and girls, and screw up what's left of uh, your meager courage, because because we're going to go behind the old abandoned Denny's on Peachtree Street to hear Soliloquy Sam spin us another one of his famous penniless penny dreadfuls. Oh, hello. I didn't notice you there. My name's Soliloquy Sam, and I'm the tall tales man. Won't you come join me by my roaring back alley trash barrel fire? That excessively humid heap of obsessive compulsive twitches over there is Wet Bradley. Is Aaron hot? I did not sneeze, Wet Bradley. Do you even know what you just said? I'll have you know I have assembled an extensive knowledge of the German language from all that Nazi pornography we found. Well, that's the first time I've ever heard you say German words. And we've practically been Siamese twins for the past ten years huddled together around this here trash barrel fire. Don't joke about the Siamese, Sam. They have spies everywhere. Well, Bradley, I swear to God, if you hadn't hidden my Pulp Fiction-style chest plate breach and adrenaline shot, I would have left you on the doorstep with a closest fire station by now. The Siamese wouldn't like that, Sam. <laughs> Something tells me I'll regret asking this, but why wouldn't the Siamese like it if I left you on a fire station doorstep, Wet Bradley? On account that I was once their leader, but there was an uprising, and I was unseated. That is when I rid myself of all my personal possessions, went into hiding, and began my training. One day, I will wage a war, then epic battles retake my rightful place as the sole figurehead of Siam. Really? You, Wet Bradley, who just yesterday created gourmet artisanal baked goods by weaving together discarded pizza crust and old clown wigs, was once the leader of Siam, the far eastern country which we now call Thailand? Thailand? I never said anything about Thailand. I said Siam, the Society for Industrial and Applied Mathematics. However, my religion forbids non-Euclidean geometry, and staying true to my religious beliefs, there was no way my name was going to go in those child seat safety certificates. Well, Bradley, don't you think if you was elected the leader of an organization, what who recognizes non-Euclidean geometry, you'd have an official obligation to abide by the rulings of said organization? regardless of your own religious beliefs. Let's just agree disagree, Sam. Well, let's just agree I should pay less attention to you when you rattle on your inane, nonsensical stories about what math people and who. Speaking of which, how's about a tall tale? 
as long as it doesn't rely on non-Euclidean geometry to advance its plot. Although I'm quite certain that my tall tale does not rely on non-Euclidean geometry to advance its plot, there's no reason I should change the nature of the story just so I don't offend your precious religious sentimentalities. But my freedoms! My freedoms! Submitted for the approval of the Back Alley Trash Barrel Fire Society, I call tonight's extra spooky Halloween special story tale the tale. Oh no! My sleeve! I'm on fire! All this is all your fault! Post ET, preteen alcoholism, Drew Barrymore! Wait, Bradley, quick! Activate fire contingency plan number nine! You mean plan nine from outer space by Ed Wood? I am on fire, Wet Bradley! I think its popularity is based more on nostalgia for a simpler time than any notions of cult status for entertainment value, despite its lack of technical writing or acting ex excellence. Why can't I remember any of my childhood safety lessons like a stop dropping a thing? I don't remember. This is my high school prom all over again. That vampire is my first memory of sexual impulses. <sighs> yep, just like that. If being repeatedly set on fire hadn't reduced my ten fingers to charred bony nubs, I still wouldn't have enough fingers to be able to count up the number of times that you stood by and let me just catch fire with Bradley. Einerverstanding. With the German again, for the second time. Please don't say it a third time, Sam. There's a mirror over dar. This is not the tale of the Bloody Mary ghost. What happens at a little kid's sleepover with Bradley? God damn, I just want to get through soliloquizing without inexplicably catching fire. Submit it for the Sam. Uh, the tale of the explorator's wife! Got me. Ha! Made it. That's right. You tried to stop me? Try to get me to catch on fire again. That's determination, my brother. That's what they call determination. Here I am, not on fire, about to tell a story. You ready for this? I suppose. Well, here it comes. Buckle up. <laughs> Our story opens in the cavernous mansion of the Bravery family, situated square in the middle of downtown. For those of you out there who don't know what a mansion is, it's like a regular house, but it's got a drawing room. Now, those of you who don't know what a drawing room is, it's that magical extra room, what makes a house into a mansion. <laughs> Our scene opens as junior explorator Trevor Winscott and the titular explorator's wife, Mrs. Lydia Pettifor Bravery, plan on how to give go find their missing pal. We'll need to split up, pool all our resources, shift the paradigm, comb the desert, rock the Casbah, shock the monkey. Dear, you're on a cliche loop again. Wim we must go on a quest for bravery. Oh, like the time we explored the underwater tombs for our second anniversary? Uh, not quite. Ooh, like a scavenger hunt. If you like. I'll pack my scorecard. Lydia started her search at one of hers and Stanley's very favorite spots in the whole world, the State Aquarium. Now, for those of you who don't know what an aquarium is, it's a terrific boon to our economy. What with the tourism dollars and the tax incentives, and being able to elect a whale for mayor. I mean, made in Georgia. You that, Vancouver? We got a stinger what come from the Aqua Teen Hunger People show. We're coming for you. But I digress. At a aquarium. That rather dabble cuttlefish and his dim but lovable septopus comrade seem to be taking turns promenading with a scruffy old sea wolf. How whimsical. Wait. No, 
That is a beating. They're giving him a thorough beating. But whatever for? What does a fish think? Do they wish to run across the beach with those, what's the word? Opposable thumbs? But I suppose an octopus does not want for thumbs as their tentacles serve them well in the opening of jars. Not finding any good clues or her husband at the aquarium, Lydia headed to the gritty side of town to consult an old flame. Vincent Beluca tried to stab me, but you can't get dick pierced. Well, not in this state anyway. I wish he'd stop making double entendres and make me something stiff. Uh, a stiff drink. Oh, now he's got me doing it, despite my better nature. Any windows, I mean. Doing it, slowly, but with determination. Oh, double drat, I loathe it here. How oh, I long to hear Stanley again rattle on about the rigid spear of Sumyongai, fourth prince of the ancient Siam. Wait, I did it again. Triple drat! <laughs> Lydia didn't find out anything useful at the private Dick's place, so she trekked across the way to the city's only remaining family-style breakfast restaurant, one of Stanley's favorite haunts. She immediately finds Esmeralda, the shift manager, and tells of her plight. I'm sure he's okay. Usually he's in here every other night, but sometimes he does miss out on a few breakfasts for dinners. Oh, I hope you're right. Say, why does Stanley frequent a family-style breakfast restaurant? I'm more than capable in the kitchen. Oh, Stanley, he loves his breakfast food. He says we've got the best crepes in the city. I'm sure he doesn't mean to hoit your feelings. Well, there it is, then. Crepes. Bah! Flimsy pretender to the almighty pancake. Stanley knows I don't abide crepes in the house. Well, there you have it. All crepes plus strawberry compote topped with the whipped cream and sprinkled with confectioner sugar. In fact, if you look at the menu, we call it the Stanley Bravery Breakfast Adventure. It comes with a whole pile of bacon, too. And big sausage patty. That's got the shape of a compass seared into the top. Good Lord, that much refined sugar and animal fat is going to send the man straight to the hospital. Oh, we do our best here, ma'am. Lydia even considered traveling to the all-werewolf town of Whiskey Check, Wisconsin. If we can't cure Stanley, maybe we can relocate to that quaint little Romanian village in Wisconsin. I remember one British lad whose hair was perfect, as was his beautiful suit. Oof. I'd love to meet his tailor. See, well, Bradley, I tell you, every time we get an opportunity to, we should just throw in classic rock lyrics. What come from the Warren Evans song about the werewolf well, who live in London? Sam, there are more Warren Evans songs than werewolf in London. I know, they're and probably bad, but that, I, don't, I don't care to hear them. It, it's the n Smells Like Teen Spirit well, I of Warren Evans. It's like, this, this is what you sound like. No, I oh, I love the Pixies, especially that song from Fight Club. No, okay, I'm, I'm a college freshman. No, I, I got a Blues it. Brothers poster. I have, a sh I, have, I have a shallow but broad scope of musical history. <laughs> Anywho, Lydia decided that a bus trip to Wisconsin wasn't the best use of her time. Besides, she thought... Stanley hates interstate bus travel. Not that I can blame him, what with the riffraff and the perpetual odor and the unpleasant lighting inside the vehicles. Hmm. The Braveries, with their mansion and the fancy hair and their single-use toilet paper... Didn't cotton to the idea that any man with $10 in his pocket got the right to travel the open road free and easy without being bothered. 
The Bravers probably travel everywhere in a helicopter made out of solid gold, drinking Himalaya Mountain spring water, and watching the HBO movies on the back of the headrest, looking down at all us little people like we was ants. You know what? As the soliloquizer in charge of driving this particular bit of narration, watch this one, Brad. It's going to be mean. I'm going to do a mean thing. <clears throat> Having decided to leave the bus station, the exploitator's wife headed toward home down the scariest, back alleyest, most murder-prone, dimly lit, rain-covered, no-shoulder-having road on the edge of town. You know the one with the abandoned factories on the one side and the horror movie woods on the other. Take that, you old money scared of the bus so-and-so. There seems to be a trail of assorted debris from the Funland complex. It's not like Staley to litter. I hope he's okay. If he doesn't have his trusty Winchester with him, we'll both have to rely on my Krav Maga training and Terminator shotgun. As she followed the shredded remains of an outdated piece of Americana, Lydia heard a nearby growling. And as she came upon a clearing, she saw a hunched-over beast brandishing a Winchester repeating rifle and an explorer's hat. That could be anyone's head. The horrible canine biped turned to her and tried to focus through a fog of blind rage on the identity of the voice. Lydia knew she had to administer the test. Constant vigilance against crocodiles. The thing that could only be Stanley spun around and howled, and its violent spin dislodged an ancient silver dagger from the sheath around the beast's waist. Lydia took up the silver dagger to do what must be done. She ran toward the monster and they embraced in a way that connoted neither violence nor affection. You mustn't struggle, my love. It'll be like getting a shot. And I know how you hate them so, but I promise you'll get a nice ring pop. Oh. Lydia felt the front of her dress grow damp and stick to her belly. She felt cold, and then she felt nothing as the momentum of her lifeless frame drove the dagger through the lycanthrope's hand. Meanwhile, at the middle of tonight's show, back when there was little girls telling spooky stories around a campfire and whatnot, hold your breath, folks! This is time jump! Well, gals, it looks like another case solved by the Girl, girl Investigation, Investigation Cadre! Oh, God. I just remembered. It must be a mistake. With tears burning his eyes and blood drying on his hands, Stanley rushed to the clearing where... In a deep, dark part tucked away in his memory, he knew he last saw Lydia. He found her body already cold, a betrayed look on her face. Although he was now just a man, he howled her name loud enough to crack hell in twain. Lydia! Stanley collapsed in a heap in the mud next to his dead wife. She was closer to me than my compass more reliable than my Winchester, more precious than all the artifacts I've collected the world over, my greatest discovery, my most fulfilling exploitation. She was the map, my constellation. Every meandering celebration of a conquest was just an attempt to woo her. I wasted all that pontificating instead of telling her who she was to me. I no longer fear crocodiles. There is no fate worse than this. There is nothing left to exploratate. Knowing in his heart that he was responsible for the death of the love of his life, Stanley Bravery shed a single shimmering tear. 
when that tragic droplet had traversed his weary, bloodied face and fell to the ground, Stanley took a deep breath, set his shoulders, and slowly walked off into the woods, never to be heard from again. And that is literally the saddest thing that I have ever said out loud, WB. And I've podcasted The Given Tree. I did audio translation for blind folks watching The Notebook. I did a poorly planned performance art piece where I read Gerald Ford's obituary to a room full of sick kittens. What a way to end a recurrent feature. Take away the motivation of the main protagonist, have him run off into the woods, and kill off the single most likable character in the whole damn show. Oh sure, Wet Bradley gets enough laughs from the audience, but deep down nobody, nobody cares about this man. No one, no one cares two farts in a feather duster. Who's Gerald Ford? I think he was a famous TV chef. Come on now, Sam. I was just a fantastical thematic sort of deviation story. It ain't canon or nothing. It's like one of those what-if stories in Marvel Comics where Uncle Ben gets bit by a radioactive Howard the Duck and has to fight Galactus. I, I guess you're right, WB. After all, it is just a tall tale, and we are as Uatu, the Watcher, an omniscient being forced to witness events yet forbidden to interfere. But Uatu the Watcher almost always interferes, Sam. Ain't that the sad truth of it? We're all, each of us, powerless to truly control our destinies. The only thing we can do is persevere and treat each other as good as we can while we're still here. Is there a light of mine? I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. It's the light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Emotions, pathos, transformations. Y'all, that's the independentless, penny dreadful, and pennies. Currency. Thank you all so much. This has been the Rookery Radio Hour presents Night of the Werewolves. Uh, thank you all so much for coming out. Our, our vocal performers this evening have been. Ken Diggs, Nick Etherington, Chris Bruchoffelman, Jennifer Natoso, Justin Gray, Walsh Schaefer, Francis Chang, uh, Mark Hamill, 
And I'm Ian Custer, uh, Simon Karen over there on the audio directing, technical directing. Uh, big thanks to the big house, uh, the big house, what's it called? Uh, the High Wire Theater for Letters Rehearse and the Highland Inn Ballroom for Letters Perform Our Shows here. Uh, Y'all stick around, we're gonna drink some more. So we'll do that. And, uh, and uh, say goodbye to Robert on your way out. Y'all have been the audience. Uh, join us in November on the 10th and 11th for our holiday show. Uh, and we'll see you there. All right, cool. Good night, bye. The Rookery Radio Hour proudly presents Night of the Werewolves. A Halloween special hosted by Mark Kendall as Curtis Blow, who is also a Dracula. Our sound designer and podcast producer is Simon Kern. The Rookery Radio Hour is directed by Ian Custer. Join us for our holiday special, a penniless, penny dreadful holiday season special, November 16th and 17th at the Highland Inn Ballroom. To follow us on Facebook.com slash Rookery Radio Hour for live show dates. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes.